Freedom Jumpers, welcome back to the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is Ted Stuckey. Ted is the president of Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, a wholly owned subsidiary of Nationwide Insurance. And yes, in case you're wondering, Ted is on your side. In this conversation, we get all the way into talking about uh, distribution on the ENS uh, side of the world, as well as admitted carriers. NBS is kind of a rare bird. Uh, they bridge the gap uh, across both ENS and admitted uh, placement. Uh, they can act as an all-in-one solution uh, for some admitted market access, as well as uh, being a full-service wholesale uh, MGA and ENS provider. Uh, Ted is very well uh, accustomed to the needs of retail agents, and he and I get uh, into a, a lively and engaging conversation uh, about the nature of how sales and marketing happens, of carrier relationships and keeping everybody happy and moving forward with profitable growth. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. My only ask at uh, at this point is that you engage with us however you feel uh, most appropriate. Drop a review if that's something that you're into. Uh, join our group on Facebook, the Agency Freedom Group on Facebook. Just search for it in the search bar and uh, we'll get you in there. We finally got over 300 members in the group. Uh, the conversations are lively. Uh, there's live coaching calls every Wednesday at 11 Central. And look forward to connecting with you there. If there's anything we can help with, please email podcast at risk. Well, uh, that's not the right one at all. It's actually podcast at agencyfreedom.com. Podcast at agencyfreedom.com. If there's anything that I can help you with, comments, questions, feedback. And that is all for the lead in. Let's get to the episode uh, with Ted Stuckey. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. All right, folks, back again for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. My guest for this episode is Mr. Ted Stuckey. Ted is the president of Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Nationwide. You know, nationwide is on your side, that nationwide. So uh, this conversation is is going to get really interesting because uh, you can't see Ted, but I can. And 
This guy has knocked it out of the park. He is the definition of a high-performance professional. And we're going to talk about NBS. We're going to talk about the wholesale and ENS, uh, MGA side of the insurance industry. And then, just like I have with a couple of guests over the last few months, when they are just stellar at what they do as a professional, we're going to make it personal. And Ted and I are going to you know, ask him some few questions about his journey as a professional and we're going to you know grill him a little bit as an executive and and learn uh from his successes and some of his you know lessons learned I'm sure. Ted, thanks for being with us today, man. Hey, I appreciate it. I'm excited for the conversation. Now, our prep call was enlightening in a lot of ways and you know, you you went on uh a not a not a rant or a diatribe so but definitely a, an impassioned monologue on exactly what nationwide brokerage solutions is and i'm sitting here going crap i wish it was recording right now because it was really good it was compelling i thought it, it was obvious you have given that little bit of dialogue before because it came out really clean so when we when we did it last time i told you i'm going to ask you to just do that same thing again once recording so as we get started here i would love for you to just give us the the whatever sort of narrative you want for what is nationwide brokerage solutions why does it exist why should we care run, run with that any way you choose yeah so so nbs is a fascinating franchise if you think about sort of intermediaries in the pnc market uh to understand who we are today i think it it really helps understand where we've come from so nbs is the marriage of two organizations, one of which has been around for over 47 years, and that's III, Insurance Intermediaries, Inc., which some listeners may remember is the market access platform for the former nationwide exclusive agents. And then the other entity is Allied General Agency, or AGA, which was a wholesaler established to support the independent agent channel for Allied. Now, obviously, Nationwide and Allied merged several years ago, uh, and over the last three or four years, III and AGA have come together to be NBS. So when you think about NBS, it's a broad appetite wholesaler and market access provider focused on local agents. So mm. we do everything from providing market access to non-standard auto carriers all the way up to wholesaling hairy, big, middle market ENS risks. Um, and, and that's, I think, sort of the interesting spin on us is the breadth of what, what we can deliver to those agents. And that breadth comes from the fact that we've been doing this for 47 years and we've been evolving with agents along that time. So if you were to start something today, it would probably never look like NBS, um, but we're uniquely situated because of that legacy. So how is NBS different functionally from any other MGA or wholesale broker uh, that's you know operating predominantly on the ENS side of the marketplace? I think it's the really the, the breadth. So on the ENS piece, we can manage, let's call it 90% of the daily wholesale needs of a local agent. Um, so areas that we don't really dabble in on the ENS side, we don't touch anything that's international. Um, highly protected risks, massive property property values that require a ton of layering. The advanced stuff, we're not playing in that space, but I'd say about 90% of those daily needs for a local agent, we can knock it out of the park. 
What makes us different, though, is the fact that we can handle that subdirect access side of the admitted market and brokered solutions on the admitted market. So we recognize that a lot of our customers, a lot of those local agents we work with, for whatever reason, may have a hard time getting appointed with a large national carrier. Uh, They may not want to put the effort in to manage a bunch of appointments with a bunch of regional carriers or whatever. They just want an easy place to go and access the markets that they need. We can do that on a subdirect basis. So you're not worried about having 15 different salespeople knocking on your door every month. You're not worried about, am I going to hit the threshold for growth or number of submissions that I need to keep this appointment? You're not going to have any of those conversations. You're just going to be able to sit back and say, I'm confident that I have access to the markets I need for this risk. And when you layer on the ENS, it's all about giving them confidence. If you're going out there, you're trying to bring in new business, you're trying to deal with the ridiculousness of the market today, we want to make sure that you're confident that you can handle that risk that's coming in your front door. Man, when I think of the important elements that early stage agency principals and producers need to figure out, And if you're a producer, it's not really your job. You're not responsible for figuring out the strategic side of things, you know, market access and whatnot. But you definitely want to make sure that you have the tools that you need uh, to compete. And for early stage agencies, you know, first three years, first five years, market access is one of the most important things to get figured out. For me and, and Riskwell, it wasn't a thing at all because of our colleagues at SIAA that helped with really all of the the core market access. We've gone out on our own and you know gotten some highly specialized things that is unique to risk well for the most part. But a lot of people don't have the 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 privilege of being a part of an aggregator or they don't want to be because they feel like there's some strings attached that they don't want to be associated with. It figures to me that you know NVS fills a really nice place in the market for folks that want to have market access without the strings attached and they like having a swiss army knife in their office for all of the ens risk that you would typically go to a you know rt specialty or amwins or crc or something like that but also like you said subcode access to usli uh, american modern aig chubb and whatnot uh, a lot of other programs uh, that you guys have on your on your menu how did that come about? Is that just the natural growth of what used to be those two groups you talked about, you know, I and uh, AGA, where this used to be the nationwide version of, you know, brokering business for what used to be exclusive nationwide agents? Is that just the natural evolution of things? Or was there something else, uh, some grand plan afoot here? It certainly is the natural progression of that, that legacy. Uh, I, I think it's we operate now in a world where we're we're an open brokerage, we're working with local agents, regardless of their relationship with Nationwide or any other entity, the, the focus has been, are we solving enough of the problems for them? So we've got the big national carriers, we've got the big brands that have broad appetites, we've got the insure techs that are going to do the online binds and make your, uh, you know, those transactions really simple. We're now trying to zero in on what are the other things that keep those local agents up at night? How do we bring them on to the either the subdirect side of the business or the brokered side of the business? So, for example, uh, everyone's struggling in California, 
we have a really, really nice high net worth business within NBS. It's a brokered business. We've now discovered a couple different carriers that are going to let us subdirect for high net worth in California. From our perspective, I don't care if it's brokered or subdirect. I just care that when that local agent gets that piece of business on their desk, that they know where to go and they yeah. have the ability to place it. Because really at the end of the day, as I talk to our customers and, and spend more time in, in sort of that, that local agent community, it's harder than ever to be a local agent. You, you nailed it. Those first few years, trying to get an appointment, let alone the number of appointments that you need to, to really feel comfortable that you've got the breadth of appetite to place that business and so that you don't basically become an exclusive agent, if you will, for a single carrier, which that concentration risk is a big risk out there, especially when yeah. you're growing that business. Yeah. Um, it's tough. And so from our perspective, we're more than happy to lay out the entire menu of options. We don't care if you want us to touch it or not. We just want to make sure that you've got an outlet for that risk. It really is that Swiss Army approach where, you know, for early stage agents, that is probably the most important thing. And I imagine some of my friends and colleagues out there get sick of hearing me talk about niche specialization. It was like, okay, James, I get it. We need to have a niche. At some point, we'll have a niche. But right now, I just got to pay the light bill. I've got to make payroll. I'm going to write every single thing I can write, everything that comes in the front door and says, hey, can I get some insurance? By George, I'm going to get him some insurance. Those kind of shops, anybody who's in that life stage of their agency, a, a relationship like NBS really is irreplaceable. I don't know of anybody else in the marketplace that is approaching this the way that NBS is, where you have the high net worth carriers, you have you know the nationwide private client and AIG and Chubb through uh, through Orchid, I think is where some of those market access points come from. But then you also have, as you said, like California markets. I don't is is Vault in there? Can you get access to Vault somewhere through your platforms? Because I we're know not we're not yet with Vault. Okay, yet I love that word. Yet is such a powerful word. Give, give me a call. We'll get them yeah. on. No, fantastic. You know, so much of what we experience for high net worth on the ENS side, uh, Vault is becoming more and more of a player on the stuff that Chubb won't touch, AIG won't touch and whatnot. So uh, interesting there. But the the usefulness, the utility of a partner like you just described, my gosh, man, like it, it really is a Swiss Army knife. It can be whatever a retail agent needs it to be. You know, today you might be, you know, getting brokered or subcode access for travelers or I, I want to be very clear, this is not nationwide nationwide this is a wholly owned subsidiary we're talking two very different mm -hmm. things here so you're not like bringing subcode access to somebody who wants nationwide paper that's a different conversation entirely right it is there's certain parts of nationwide where where we help for example uh you mentioned nationwide private client uh, where you may because of the size of your agency have a hard time getting a direct appointment you can come through us we're more than happy to broker that for you um, some of the nationwide ag business will will broker, and we we place some in market stuff. We place a lot with nationwide ENS, but uh, they're they're just one of the many you know products that are on our shelves. In a given month, we'll actually place business with over 170 carriers. It's pretty remarkable how broad we go given the size of our book. That is incredible. I had no idea it was nearly that many. So it, you you really are almost like a chameleon. 
Oh, what do you need? Oh, you need high net worth in California. There you go. Got it for you. Oh, you've got a, uh, you know, a triplex rental in Tennessee that the standard markets won't take for whatever reason, openly said no. Um, American Modern. Yeah, sure. We'll take a look at it with American Modern. <laughs> Their underwriting appetite in American Modern is absurdly broad. I, you know, I've been on several of their webinars in the last few years. and was like, you'll do what? You'll write a detached uh, housing for uh, a high net worth individual that's over a boat dock? You'll do detached structures sitting on top of a boat dock. You'll, you'll do a, an earth, you know, like one of those earth dome homes. Yeah. Like what you guys will write that crazy. I had no idea. There's an acquisition that, that is, needs to be taught in, in business school. What the fact that Munich re could acquire them and it actually be additive to that overall operation is amazing, right? When that, when that happened, you kind of get a little worried, but American Mars knocking out of the park. They've got phenomenal product. Yeah. And we love working with them because they solve so many problems for our folks. Yeah. The moment that I found, because for the longest time, I thought American Modern was just specialty dwelling, specialty property, like the weird stuff. I had no idea their appetite on high net worth uh, or like exotic vehicles, mm -hmm. like higher valued. Um, I don't know if they'll do agreed value uh, like Haggerty and, you know, JC Taylor and some of the other ones, but their appetite for exotics is is a lot bigger than your standard carriers like you know Travelers, Safeco, etc. It's it, it's crazy. I don't mean to make this a commercial about American Modern, but I will make this a commercial of if you want access to American Modern, NBS is a great place to get it. That's how our office got it. You know, we, we right. used to be part of a, uh, a wholesaler that operates here in Texas, and we were told that they were the only point of access to get American Modern. And then we found out through a third party is like, actually, you can get American Modern through NBS too. I was like, well, our, our problem wasn't with American Modern. Our problem was that wholesaler that we used to represent with we billing and service and whatnot. But those problems weren't American Modern problems. They were just wholesaler mm -hmm. problems. So, and obviously I, I have no interest in defaming someone. So there's no reason to name that other entity that we're no longer affiliated with. But come to find out NBS brings American Modern to us and American Modern said no thank you to a direct appointment. They found out my office is located in Texas and almost laughed me off the phone. <laughs> was, oh, that's cute. You you thought you had a chance at a direct appointment? <laughs> Do you have any idea how many hail claims come from your state and, and your area there in DFW in North Texas? No, we're not appointing anyone from North Texas. So it, the, really the only way to get American Modern in some of these carriers like USLI will appoint you, but they expect $250,000 in production. If you have a direct code, you know, they're part of the whole Berkshire Hathaway yep. monster that owns everything. It seems like, I don't know how Warren keeps track of all the insurance companies that he owns <laughs> because between Geico and by and, you know, BHHC and home state and um, guard, it's like Berkshire Hathaway owns like a dozen insurance companies just in the PNC side of things. Like, I don't know how they keep all that straight. Like how they don't. Then you step overlay the reinsurance. I mean, yeah. that, then it really gets interesting because the the you know the the breadth of the exposure, but also the breadth of the insight. I mean, I yeah. I can appreciate some of that product and some of the speed of market for some of those carriers is incredibly impressive, and the fact that they all seem to operate truly independent of one another. 
right? They yeah. can actually hold, you know, strong intellectual disagreements between one another on what's the right path. I think that's yeah. cool versus they're just a different flavor of the same thing. Would I 100% agree? Because if you go to Byberk and you go to Guard, they have the same parent company. At the end of the day, <laughs> the revenue is going into the same bucket, but they approach things. They could not be more different in how they approach things, I should say. It's, it's fascinating to me that you and I can have this conversation, name dropping all these other companies that you guys get to participate in. It is the definition of Blue Ocean. It's really cool to me that you guys are able to you know, bring that abundance perspective to the marketplace and say, hey, agent, we don't care if you win with travelers over here or in, you know, AIG, Chubb over there, like you want access to all these toys to play with. Oh, you need, you know, jewelry. You need like a collector schedule to be put on a personal in the Marine form. Sure. No problem. We got somebody for that. It, it literally is the definition of a Swiss Army knife for a, a retail agent. Is there anything you guys are particularly not good at or not interested in? Is there anything that strategically MBS has said, hey, you know what? We really don't want to write X. We're not interested in that. That vertical doesn't work for us. The niche that we don't touch that I'd love to see us get in at some point, but it's it's bigger than a bread box, is transportation. Um, we, we'll do smaller fleets fairly well in a variety of different ways. But once you start getting into those more heavier transportation exposures, it's better suited for a specialist because so many of those markets are very, very niche. And the expertise needed to write that business well is tough. We still have to balance making sure that we're placing good risks with our carriers and finding product for our customers. We have 11,500 local agents that use us every year. Hmm. And we have to be moderately confident in the type of business that they're bringing through to our carriers so that we can help make our carriers money as well. Sure. So it's that balancing act. We've never really dipped our toes into uh, the transportation side. The other piece that I'd love to see us grow in, and I'd be interested in your take on this, is uh, cyber. So there's this now like we're talking. All right. There's this overarching narrative in the market. In a, in a prior life, I was a venture capital investor for a for a large carrier, and everyone was talking about cyber. Right. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing about cyber. Yep. We have eleven and a half thousand of the best local agents in the country that come to us. Yep. And we hardly see any cyber. Yep. And it's not for a lack of effort. And I just, I think that is so interesting. It's interesting that, that as a single data point that we see where there's all this activity, but yet the local agents, for whatever reason, either they're placing it direct, which they could, right? We don't see everything from, from all of our customers yeah. or they, they just shy away from it. I mean, what's, what's your take there? You, the first thing I, I want to go into the trucking for just a second here, because the two names that come to mind as being just best in class when it comes to MGA wholesaler relationships for trucking. Uh, and both of them are fantastic. Cover Whale is newer to the scene. They're more tech-driven, big data analytics and whatnot. And a little bit more of a mainstay, you know, bread and butter uh, is Rock Lake. So th those two, when you talk about wanting to expand potentially into the area, um, not that you need my help for any of this, but if you want an intro to either of them, um, 
I'm happy to facilitate that. But the individual carriers themselves, like Nico or you know Great West or whatever, we don't. And it might be Nico, 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 whatever. There's another one of Warren's companies right there. That is something we've intentionally stayed away from, um, probably for a lot of the same reasons why the folks that I'm about to pivot to with cyber, probably for a lot of the same reasons why folks have stayed away from cyber for the most part, uh, because it's a little intimidating. There's a lack of an understanding of the industry as a whole. For me personally, I don't understand trucking, the whole filings thing. You get started in talking about motor cargo and, you know, chain of custody. There's so many different little nuanced areas in transportation. We talked about Amazon last mile. Is it a box truck doing local deliveries? You know, is it residential moving? Are we doing heavy freight? Are we doing, you know, something that has specific challenges like uh, hazardous material or automobiles or household goods or whatever? There, There's so much nuance to trucking. It's really easy for an agent to make a mistake somewhere and have an E&O claim just, I mean, faster yep. than you can say, oops. And to cyber, oh, hold on a second. There's our button right there. I heard, didn't have the volume up high enough. For cyber, pivoting there, I think a lot of people, if you ask, hey, why aren't you selling cyber? Most agents, if they're being honest, there's some ego involved here for sure. So they probably will give you the runaround. A lot of people will. There's just a lack of a level of comfort talking about cyber because it's so easy to stick it on an endorsement on a BOP or a package policy like Hartford literally is two clicks and their form is is good. It's not great. There's some, you know, some challenges with it if you really get nuanced in the form language and sublimits and whatnot. But for a clickable endorsement to a BOP, something like Hartford is fantastic. The reason why you're never going to see a submission from a lot of agents is they just don't understand it well enough to sell it with confidence. Because you start talking about, you know, regulatory fines and penalties and notification expenses, and and we're going to have defense costs inside or outside the limit. You know, what about first party remediation, lost business income, uh, first party challenges for uh, cyber uh, extortion, social engineering, fraudulent transfers, phishing attacks, ransomware. Not even talking about traditional cyber third-party yeah. exposures, where there's a, a whole bunch of different varieties of third-party exposure. It's not nearly as simple as, oh, I'm selling cyber. Okay. Are you selling cyber as an endorsement to a BOP? Is it only third-party? Is it first-party? You know, How is the payments on the policy? Is it a reimbursement schedule for payments, or is it pay on behalf of? In a ransomware situation, that's a very big difference. Yep. Very big difference. Does your client have a bunch of Bitcoin sitting somewhere ready to pay the the ransom people? You know, probably not. So if it's pay on behalf of, the carrier is taking care of it entirely. But if it's a reimbursement carrier where the form says nothing about pay on behalf of, well, your client's coming out of out of their pocket for, you know, five Bitcoin or whatever. At the rate it's going down, it's yep. probably, you know, not going to be worth much anyway. Well, we're going to start talking about, you know, dozens or hundreds of Bitcoin. Whereas, you know, just eight months ago, it's like, oh, you know, Bitcoin is $55,000 for one Bitcoin. But anyways, I digress. We're not going to talk about cyber. Um, cyber or uh, crypto, I should say, not cyber. I can't use my words, apparently. I'm, I'm going to need crypto and cyber to not be so close to each That's other right. in spelling. So they like intermingle in my brain here. 
but I I don't mean to speak on behalf of all of my peers, but um, is is that useful for you as a, as an executive, someone who's making strategic decisions? Because I think it really just comes down to comfort and education, honestly. And and that's our biggest opportunity within NBS in general, because a lot of the business we write are the the one offs for these local agents that don't have the mm. confidence to place it. Right? I have three high net worth clients in my my agency. That's it. And by the way, one's a family member and two are my best friends. Mm. So don't screw it up. But I want to make sure that I know exactly what needs to happen for this to you know be the right level of coverage. They're not going to get the direct appointments, right? They aren't yeah. doing it every day. They don't think about it every day. Uh, same on the ENS side. We have some folks that have massive ENS books with us. But I would say by and large, we want to count basis, the vast majority, they have a handful of ENS policies they're placing a year. And so our job is to give them the confidence that not only that's getting placed with the right coverages and the right carriers, but that they know how to sell it back to their insured. They understand like, what the hell's the stamping fee? What are all yeah. these taxes? Why, why are all these bold words on the cover letter of the, of the quote? Like give, give them the confidence. And so it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm somewhat attracted to cyber is exactly what you just said, right? There's a lack of confidence. What role can we play in that? Yeah. Now, the caveat there is if you're skewing small, these are going to be smaller policies. And so the agent's got to make a, you know, a, an economic decision on how much effort is it worth. It's different than a $250,000 high net worth home policy. So yep. um, I get that, but it, it's, it's right in the wheelhouse of, I think really what sets us apart because we are more than happy to hold your hand and broker a $500 minimum premium comp policy. We're more than happy to hold your hand and broker a $6,000 ENS policy. A lot of our peers in the market, they're not going to get out of bed that. for that, right? And that no. and that's our game. That's what that's what we love because that's what the local agent needs. Well, and the longer I play this game, the more up market we go and the higher our minimums go. And you know, we love competing with the big shops, you know, the alphabet houses and whatnot, because we exist in the area that they're not interested in playing where most of our accounts are, our target is 25 to 75 in premium, somewhere between, you know, two and six in revenue, somewhere in there. It's kind of like the sweet spot because it's big enough for the captive, the exclusive agent to not have any business playing in that sandbox. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's small enough that the big boys don't want it, aren't paying attention. They're not actively marketing it. We don't have to defend our renewals every single year from, every big shop from here to Timbuktu, like we would, and we do for our, our, you know, six figure premium accounts. Yeah. So the, the folks that you're describing, I mean, everybody has a need for that for several years. And at some point you might graduate from not need certain things from NBS, but for, I mean, there's a, a lifespan in a retail agency where what you're describing is, is almost irreplaceable. It, it, it is critical for the growth curve of an agency to have a partner like MBS, certainly for a few years. And I, I'm guessing, and I'd love to get your take on this, the relationship evolves over time, where at a certain point, you know, the agent's big enough, it doesn't really need market access assistance, probably has enough going on to support a direct code. I'd love to hear some commentary on that. For a, maybe a larger agency, 
let's say, I don't know, seven, eight million in premium. Now they're sitting somewhere around, you know, one, a million, 1.2, which is right about exactly yeah. where Riskwell is right now. For someone like Riskwell that has really strong ENS chops, what's the value add for uh, for that profile of agent who's not as concerned about market access, but still definitely appreciates, you know, simplicity and streamline of, of you know, operating and whatnot? Yeah, I, I, a couple things come to mind. You know, one, there's always going to be blind spots in the agency when you're at that size, right? So it's, yeah. if you're great and you're strong in ENS, maybe it's that that sort of core admitted middle market brokerage that, that needs a little bit of love, or maybe it's that high net worth side of the house that needs a little bit of love, or that personalized ENS. Maybe you're good in commercial ENS and personalized mm-hmm. ENS. You got to kind of swing in there. Yep. The, the other thing really at that spot is you're still in the world where you have a few accounts that make or break your year. And for us, it's that high touch service. It truly is that, you know, exactly who's going to, who you're going to call, you know, exactly how to get a hold of them. They give you really clear expectation of what's going to happen. It's not another submission that gets put on some random desk and processed after all the other big guys gets processed through. So any big submission that we see, the way we think about it is this is probably their most important customer. Don't screw it up. Whereas for a lot of our peers in the market, rightly so, that have grown so big and they're so high in the market, you put in a two, three, four thousand dollar submission, it may not even get them out of bed. They might not even want to see it, right? Depending on the type of risk, they could be million plus dollar premium minimums. And so for us, yeah. it's like, this is James's most important client. That matters. No, I, I had a, a situation last year. Uh, we have a friend here locally who is an account executive. He's, he's in distribution with FM Global. Sure. And I mean, most people aren't familiar with FM Global. Most people listening to my podcast are not familiar with FM Global. They've never even heard the name, most people. And I know that because I hadn't heard the name until spring of last year. I didn't have any need to hear the name. They're, they're the you know national accounts and really, really big stuff. Uh, for those of you that haven't heard of the name FM Global, they, they do the, the very big stuff. And I had a fantastic opportunity that ended up not panning out because the insured, uh, would, frankly, they're just giant flake uh, and ended up uh, puffing up some stuff that ended up not really happening. I don't know if it was ever really going to happen, but that's neither here nor there. The The opportunity was a little bit more than a million in premium, and it was a schedule of commercial LRO locations and and some other stuff. And for me, it was by far my largest single account by a factor of three. Uh, my largest one on the on the books right now account premiums about six hundred in premium, and that's inclusive of property GL work comp and auto. So the the whole account. So for me, a one point two million dollar property and excess property and GL and excess account that's massive. It's huge. It, to your point, it it makes our year if we get an account like that. And I'm talking to my my colleague at FM Global, and he's like. I'd love to help you, man. But I mean, if you're not talking 2 million in premium, I, I'm not even interested. Like I, in order for me to do what we do with loss control and all the value adds, we expend a lot of money on every account. 
the carrier does, you know, with support for the account and whatnot, they wouldn't even look at it unless I was bringing them two million in premium. And was like, I've never two million in premiums, twenty five percent of my entire agency, bro. Yeah, like that's not going to happen right now. Ten years from now, yeah, absolutely, it's totally possible that it happens ten years from now. Yeah, but for the next several years, you ain't getting two million in premium from anywhere in my entire agency, much less one account. Yeah. So it's, I know that's an extreme example, but uh, you're absolutely right there. And you make a great point, Ted, about the the high net worth personal lines for a shop like mine. It's majority commercial. It does quite a bit of commercial ENS. We don't do any personal lines ENS. If you bring me a, you know, $4 million high net worth residence, I don't have the markets for that. You know, we're going to run right into our very large peers locally that have direct access to Cincinnati and Pure and these other places. Yeah. Uh, we, we're not going to have. So you, you bring an excellent point there. I wasn't thinking of that direction. It's 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 sort of analogous to the and you met, and you talked about sort of the life cycle of our our relationship with our customers. It's it's really analogous to that life cycle where if if you think about where we started, it was generally speaking market access on the personal line side and yeah. non-standard side when Nationwide got out of non-standard. And we saw those customers evolve to becoming decent-sized personal line shop, now wanting to make the jump into small commercial. So then we stood up this small commercial brokerage where we will have a broker touch a, like I said earlier, $500 minimum premium work comp policy and actually place that, hold your hand, place that with a carrier. We will broker that business for you until you get strong enough that a carrier will let us subcode you. So then we will subcode you. And as you evolve in the small commercial, maybe start placing some mid-market stuff. All right, well, now we're going to start brokering that mid-market for you. You may no longer need our subcodes. We, we are more than happy. In fact, we're ecstatic when one of our customers evolves out of the subcode space. It happens a couple times a year. And generally speaking, it's, you know, in premium with a single carrier, that carrier will step in and say, why don't we just go direct? But by that point, they're continuing to move up. Once they're in that mid-market space, they begin to get these principals or owners of businesses saying, hey, we've got five houses in four states. Can you write a really complex high net worth? Absolutely not. But they can come to us and we can place it very easily for them. Now you start to get interesting exotic toys or, or layers, umbrella layers, excess layers in there. You bring in the PL at ENS, and now you start jumping from mid-market to the big stuff, the ENS stuff, the hairy stuff. Great, we're right there for you. So eventually, yeah, they're gonna get so big that I hope they don't need us, but I know that's a, I just described in two minutes, probably a 25 minute or 25 year evolution of an agency, an average yeah. agency. on how they go. And we're just there for them every step along the way, hoping that not only we give them the service that they need to grow their business, but we also help them see that you can do this and still make a ton of money. Like we're not the the greedy middleman here. We're just trying to make sure that you're growing. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who is it, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. 
That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Well, and you just, to, to your point, you know, you just described in 90 seconds approximately eight years of risk well, and we're almost to the halfway point mm-hmm. of that journey. And I, a little more than three years done, but you just described exactly what the next three, four, five years yeah. of my office looks like, you know, to a T. So it's fascinating to have these kind of conversations with someone in your shoes because it's vastly different than any other wholesaler or MGA conversation I've had. You know, I'm a really big fan of RT. Uh, if we have a property risk or a complex casualty risk uh, and it's ENS, I'm going straight to RT. Nothing at all against Amwins and CRC, the other big players in the wholesaler space, but we have a, a group of underwriters in the Dallas office that we trust explicitly that do a phenomenal job, but they only do a phenomenal job inside the box that they want. If it's less than $4 million TIV for a property submission, I have to go to their binding team because they literally contractually can't take it in their brokerage team. And it's just interesting how rigid some of those lines are drawn. Whereas for you guys, you know, you say, hey, what do you got? Send me a cord, send me a supplemental, send me loss runs if you have them. Let's go to town. And then yeah. that, that underwriter at NBS is figuring out market placement and you know trying to understand the risk, maybe asking some additional questions of the retail agent. But that underwriter is really your partner in the whole process. Without and, a doubt. That's just incredible. I, I love the business model. And that's sort of the relationship that we have with the, the carriers that we use too, right? They it it's unique to find carriers that will actually, and especially in today's market, that will go below. 20, 15, 20, 25,000 minimum premiums on commercial ENS policies. Um, but we've got those relationships. We've had those relationships forever. And we've shown them that we can do it extremely profitably and extremely efficiently because we're more than happy to take on that heavy lifting and that legwork. Mm-hmm. The other piece too, is just, we know when we're not a good fit. Uh, I had an associate come to me the other day and was talking about this incredible high net worth opportunity we had for a, a client in Texas. Uh, I think it was like eight homes, uh, a, apparently somewhere in the range of like 70 to $80 million. In wow. TIV. And, uh, you know, within 48 hours, we were like, here's where you need to go. You're, you're not getting it through us. This is way more complex than we can handle. You really need some additional sort of risk control services that we can't do from an intermediary perspective. You're probably going to need to layer some stuff in, maybe go to the Lloyd's market for some of this. Cause a lot of it was uh, brush fire exposed and stuff. Mm-hmm. We know when we're not good for it and we can push them in the right direction. That's the other piece of the equation. Now I'd love to see us evolve to where we can handle more of those extremely high premiums or very unique risks, yeah. but that also begins to bring us far beyond what our core value prop is. I don't, I'm not competing with Ryan or Amwins or CRC. That's not the world I want to play in. I want to help that local agent who has more of that sort of 
core day-to-day risk and just needs to find a market to, to place it. Hmm. Just out of curiosity, where, where are you thinking of something like that? Because what you just described, I'm thinking vault uh, is probably the first place I would be going, going to RT and asking them to take it to vault and see what happens with that kind of TIV on a personal line schedule. I mean, one entity or one group of commonly owned entities, it's like, well, where do you even go if your wholesaler, if your MGA is saying, I don't know about this, we don't, we don't want to go there. Um, we, we can talk offline if you don't want to say it on a recording. I'm just curious where that would even go if not to something you know, upmarket like a vault or a Lloyd's program or some sort of syndicate where there's a bunch of pooled percentages where you know, 10 different companies go, all right, I'll take 11% of that risk. And you start right, I think you nailed it there. It'll, it'll probably lend, end up in, in, in the Lloyd's market. Some kind right? of syndication. There, there are some players that are really, really competitive in that ultra high net worth space. Yeah. The, the problem is, and this is something I didn't appreciate really coming in, um, almost all of the high net worth that we place has multi-state exposures. Yeah. And as soon as you start talking about multi-state exposures and you know where the states are um, and you know that those states are really tough, that's when you get into, this is this is not a straightforward yeah. exercise at all. Well, I mean, there are, and this it's the same six states. For the last five years, it's been the same six states. And, you know, in the last 18 months, those same six have gotten tremendously worse. And I don't see them getting any easier anytime soon. I was really grateful to see the the two weeks stay for those 17 carriers in Florida. Cause I mean, if they get downgraded yeah. on Demotech, which I mean, just my personal opinion, but Demotech is just a whole giant mess. Like if you're not AM best and you're stuck with Demotech, those credit rating bureaus should not have nearly as much power and authority as they do. For some of these companies, it's like, well, if Demotech decides that you're getting downgraded, your company's basically toast. You're going to get your reinsurer is going to back off, and your whole thing is basically guaranteed to go into receivership. And your policyholders are are done. Your agents are going to leave you like the plague, and they will never come back. If one of those things happens, that carrier's done. So the the way that Florida is going, and thankfully California and Louisiana aren't as bad. Louisiana is almost as bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably percentage points behind Florida for being the biggest dumpster fire in the PNC world. Uh, but I mean, New York with all the regulatory burdens, Massachusetts isn't as bad as New York, but almost from a regulatory standpoint. And then Illinois is the the other one that we add into that little bucket of fun. Um, the, if, if you're operating in any of those six states, you almost have to have somebody like NBS just to have more bullets to fire. Otherwise, you know, it's citizens or bust, right? Yeah, I, I think that's right. And the, the interesting thing on the, the demo tech piece is if you're placing business with a demo tech carrier, you better check your ENL policy. Yes. And make and make sure that that I didn't want to open the ENO can of worms, but you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we we have a uh I call it a Cadillac ENO program. It's it's as good of any ENO product as you're you're going to find in the market, and we've been writing it uh, through through Allianz for decades. Mm. And um, Allianz has been a tremendous partner. We actually we had a really really good conversation just recently with them about 
the, the our our observation of the trend of more and more of our local agents are seeing the appeal of placing business with insure techs, primarily from an efficiency perspective. Yeah. And the reality that a, a lot of those insure techs don't want to spend the money or don't have the capital to get an AMVEST rating. And so yeah. they're going down the demo tech route and that's creating EO exposures. And so, yeah. you know, what can we do in this Cadillac product uh, to, to accommodate that? We'll see if we're uh, how, how far we're able to take it right now. It's a percentage of premium that, that um, uh, we think we can get to, but mm. uh, that that's a big challenge. And, and again, going back to it's harder than ever to be a local agent. It shouldn't be that hard, right? You shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't worry about an ENO exposure for placing business with a carrier of last resort. But if you're yeah. in Florida, Louisiana, California for a lot of lines, Good luck. If there's not, there's not much. And unfortunately in some of those states for some coverages, like there's nothing we can do either. Yeah. hundred percent. And is this, this next thing I'm about to say is really in the weeds. So if you've already turned off the episode because this wasn't your cup of tea, then I don't need to apologize because you're already gone. <laughs> if you're still listening to this episode at this point, then you're a nerd like me and welcome. Uh, Ted and I are, are glad to have you in this little right. deep dive into the nuance of things. But I, I thought it was very interesting when openly, uh, just in the last week, came out and was like, hey, big news. We're a carrier now. Openly Insurance Company is now registered with the NAIC and we're a carrier. I'll, I knew because I'm a, a huge nerd and I knew that Openly was existing as a digital MGA where they were writing on somebody else's paper that wasn't their own. They were fronting yeah. and had a beautiful setup with their website and everything, but openly wasn't a carrier. They were a, a digital brokerage and it was very, very nicely put together. Same for Coterie and for Next and, you know, Attune and several of these other insurtech carriers slash MGAs. See, I almost made a little slip there. Yeah. It's like the, the retail agent doesn't understand the difference between digital brokerage, digital MGA and carrier, unless they are reading the forms. What a wild concept, right? Mm -hmm. Reading the actual policy document and understanding, you know, what it is, you know, the concept of fronting paper and how reinsurance and all that stuff uh, goes into the business of insurance. I would, I would venture to say most of our peers don't have a clue how that stuff operates and how it has direct impact for their business and the way that the programs that they're writing like function like in real practical terms. So yeah, it introduces sort of this unknown of well what happens if that capacity goes away. Yeah. It's a different consideration than a carrier changing its underwriting um yep. its underwriting criteria it's literally like no we we don't have the capacity to write if it were to go away. Well, and HIPPO is a perfect example here in Texas because Hippo came in and they were red hot for 18 months. They were untouchable. If they wanted a risk, they were going to take it. And they gobbled up way too much market share. And then as always happens, if you put your hand in the cookie jar in Texas, you're going to come out with nub because mm -hmm. the monster inside the cookie jar smacked them hard. Their loss ratio went to a, a pile of crap real fast. And they lost one of their two major reinsurance contracts. And overnight, they just shut down all new business and were non-renewing left and right, trying to shed as much of their capacity as they could. 
Meanwhile, the retail agent's going, what? What what happened? You were red hot three months ago, and now you know your your losses finally caught up. Maybe not three months, but six months ago, you were red hot, and now you're shutting down. You're not appointing any new agents. You're not taking any new business. The new business you're taking is three times as expensive as it was, you know, eighteen yeah. months ago. It's like if you don't understand reinsurance and you don't know exactly how the business of these companies work, then you're going to be putting. You're insured with a carrier that gets a rug pull. So yeah, I, I know. Sorry, I know we're like way down a rabbit trail here. The point of all of this rabbit trailing in the last fifteen minutes is if if you're not intentional listener, if you're freedom jumper, hear me out here. You know, Ted already knows this. I'm not telling Ted anything he doesn't already know. Probably better than I do. But if you're going out there and trying to just figure it out on your own, especially for the one-off risks man, you're inviting a disaster. Now, with NBS as a partner, if there is another company out there like NBS in that regard, I'm not aware of them yet. So I'm going to say, as far as my personal knowledge goes, NBS is a great one to get with if you value the hand-holding, the market access, the assistance, the ideas to bounce off. You know, hey, where do I put this submission? I don't know. Let's Let's take a look and see. Why don't you send me your uh, send me your records, send me your loss runs. Uh, if you've got a supplemental app filled out already, send all that, and we'll take a look at it together and figure this thing out. Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier, just in the how it's often you know market access management's often overlooked in the early years of, of an, an agency's existence because they're just hustling, right? They're trying to bring bring clients in the door and, and build that book and you can really easily get yourself in a situation where you've grown super quickly with one carrier, two carriers. And if the, the winds shift, yep. then, you know, you're in a, you're in a world of hurt. And, you know, from our perspective, we, we see it. We had a big carrier uh, have an insolvency this year, big book, mm. tens of millions of dollars uh, within NBS. And immediately the first question that our brokers asked was, well, where can we move it? Right. Yeah. What, how can we move this around now? It went insolvent It went insolvent because of geographic issues. So there's, you know, there's other considerations there about, are there actually places to go? Yeah. Um, but if you're out on your own, that's a pretty lonely spot in a move like that. Um, and so if you're not super intentional about who you write with, and instead you're going with simply whoever can give you a quote quickest or whoever can find directly online or whoever has the best swag or what have you, and you overlook the important stuff, right? Claims, service center, financial stability, the actual like architecture of the insurance company itself from a reinsurance perspective and, and, and broader capacity perspective, you could get surprised pretty quickly. Now, the, the rug pull has happened uh, twice for us. Uh, most recently was before AMCAP uh, went belly up. And I guess anybody who was on the inside probably should have seen that coming because they were so aggressively priced. They they were absolutely unbeatable for a pretty broad category of risks. And then, you know, losses mounted and they couldn't take rate fast enough. And then what happened happened. And I mean, thankfully for us, it wasn't a huge problem because we didn't have a lot of business placed with them. But I know agents that were sitting there going, well, holy crap, man. Yeah. I've got millions of dollars in premium 
uh, with a carrier that just closed their doors and they went into receivership. And I got a letter that says I have to move these 47 policies in the next 30 days or, you know, or they're uninsured. Like yeah. the carrier doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. it's to your point, man, having a partner in the process. And I, I don't have any idea if you guys were even affiliated with AMCAP before uh, it, it was hard to see because our rep at AMCAP was great. Our underwriter was great. It's just like, man, this stinks for everybody. These poor yeah. people are out of a job. The, the policyholder is, you know, on the street looking for what's next. The retail agent's scrambling, trying to figure something out. And all the investors, they just get shafted. It's, when those kind of things go down where the winds shift hard and fast, if you're not, you know, working with a capable, competent, well-resourced partner like NBS, well, good luck. You're on your own. Hope it goes well for you. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't the, mean to say it flippantly, but that's, I mean, that's just the reality of it. I, I learned early in my career that it's, it's pretty darn easy to, to grow a carrier really quickly and it's next yeah. to impossible to grow it quickly and do it profitably. And, and, uh, you know, those are some telltale signs, right? If you're, if your book's growing at an outsized rate with this one specific carrier, you don't, don't really know why, mm -hmm. maybe question, you know, really if the, if it's, if it's, feasible to have a, a risk price 20% below all the other quotes you got or, or whatever yep. it may be, because um, ultimately, you know, NBS's job is to give confidence to our agents. And the agent's job is to show confidence to their insured and, and give their insured confidence that, that they're covered. And yep. uh, uh, if, if a situation like that happens, it goes all the trickles all the way down. It's hard to rebuild that trust. I mean, whether it's your fault or not, the policyholder thinks it's your fault when they get a letter in the mail that says their policy is non-renewed and their insurance company doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that that insured is looking at you, going, "Why did you put me with them?" It, rightfully so. No, it's I. I don't like to seem like I'm reveling in someone else's misfortune, but I couldn't help but chuckle a little bit with the whole lemonade debacle, you know, where they very publicly say, "Hey, you know what, agent, screw you." We don't need agents. We're going to go direct. We're going to be fine. And then they do what they did, and they grew massive, just ridiculous growth unprofitably. And then they have an IPO, and then it craters from the IPO. Their stock price is like 20% of what it was at the IPO. And then they have a change of heart and come back to the retail agents and go, hey, agent, we'd like to give you an appointment, and we'd like to do this. We'd like to do that. I was like, I hope our colleagues have a longer memory than that. Because just a couple of years ago, this carrier is saying, hey, agent, screw you. It's like, but now they want to give you an appointment. It's like, come on, folks, let's let's see the bigger picture here. Don't just run out and take an appointment from a carrier because they're offering it. Look at where they're coming from. Look at their marketing. Look at their advertising. Look, look at their performance. I'm sure you guys, you know, have those conversations internally of do we want to represent this carrier, you know, even if it's offered to you of do we want to be affiliated with XYZ that may not be in the best interest of NBS or your agents? Oh, with, without a doubt. And I think we've seen that story play out now several times um, where the expectation has been, you can build a, a business that's solely on a direct model and, and, you know, this false narrative that the, the, the independent agent or the local agent doesn't add any value. Right. I, I, I'm, proudly placing my personal insurance through a local agent, right? I'm someone yeah. that shouldn't need to do that, but they give me confidence and, and I'm, I'm 
I won't go direct to the carrier, even though I know how to read a policy form. I understand sort of what the, the structure needs to be of, uh, of, of our entire insurance package. The, yep. the challenge that I have or the issue that I have is you can't shortchange the local agent on how they're ultimately compensated, right? And yep. you just because your business model worked by taking out however many points that you would pay in commissions and redirect that to direct marketing and then have it so that you can have slightly better margins to get a better, uh, a, a better sort of bottom line NOI, that doesn't mean you can go around and, and, and pay half of the market rate on commission, right? Yeah. The, the, the local agent deserves to be compensated fairly because they're doing a lot of work. They're yeah. working their tail off. And, and if you don't appreciate it, that's a, that's a whole different situation. But more so, we're, we're obviously wanting to bring the right carriers forward and the ones that, that are, are you know, aligned culturally and, and, and ethically in the way we think about the world. But we also want carriers that treat our, our customers right. Because I can't tell you you should place business with XYZ carrier and then turn around and be like, oh, and by the way, they're going to give you five points commission. I guess yeah. that's absurd. That's that's a it, that's an insult. It it really is insulting, and you know the only way stuff changes is if agents are able to help each other make good decisions. And you know when somebody does, and I I have no interest in picking on Lemonade at all. I, I'm picking on their behavior, not them as a as a company at all. But when when a company does what they did of make a very public stand of we don't need you. We don't want you. You don't fit into our distribution plans. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they come back. And it's like, the only way these companies are going to understand that that kind of behavior is not okay is if they feel some kind of pain. Mm. If they're not able to get the distribution in the IA channel that they want, because agents realize what they did and agents get offended. You know, it's like, hold on a second. You're not going to talk like that about me and my peers in this distribution channel. We're going to remember that. So when you come crawling back a year or two from now asking, the, hey, you want an appointment? We'd like you to sell our product. Oh, now you want me to sell your product. Okay. Now, so before we switch, because I want to end this interview and we're we're at time. Can I have five or you six minutes of your time? As I yeah. told you, an hour. And I know you're a very important executive. <laughs> you got stuff to do. Uh, anything else you want to say on that ball of yarn before I ask you a couple of personal questions? No, I, I don't think so. Awesome. That was fascinating. I, I want to go back and listen to it myself and it's my podcast. So <laughs> I, I think the audience is going to enjoy that. So uh, pivoting real quick for you, Ted, typically when VC people, when tech people come into the industry, they they have to have you know education by fire because they apply tech and VC and, you know, capital raising things that work in other industries, you know, in, in SaaS and in other types of products and services, and they apply the same logic to the insurance industry. And it just doesn't work the same way The the rules in our industry are very different. You don't seem to have that problem. You came uh, from the VC world, uh, you were, you know, in that capacity. And before you got here, I'd love to hear, you know, how did yeah. you come to be at NBS? Your backstory is very interesting. Your your LinkedIn has some meat to it, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I knew really early on, I wanted to be in the PNC industry. Uh, and 
really tried to be deliberate in, in figuring out opportunities and, and challenges that I wanted to tackle within it. I was incredibly, incredibly fortunate to start my career uh, at First Comp, which some of your listeners may remember, is it, which is now Markel Specialty, Markel's small business operation. So Markel bought First Comp um, while I was there. We were writing monoline comp. It was a blast. We were growing like a weed. Certainly fair to say InsureTech before InsureTech. Uh, rumor has it one of the real big reasons that Markel made the acquisition was for the tech stack that we had built um, at, at First Comp. And then after that, shifted over to Travelers, who you know, is right up there next to Chubb as the world's strongest underwriting apparatus, yeah. at least today, if not in the last 20 yeah. years. I mean, Terribly it's, it's, impressive. Yeah. It's, it, it was uh, the, the greatest educational experience I could have had early in my career is to, to, to be there uh, next to all the heavyweights in the industry, folks who are doing it the right way. Um, and, and running it like literally a clockwork. It, it was impressive to be a part of that and, and get some really cool opportunities there. From that point, I jumped over to QBE, a uh, large Australian headquartered mm-hmm. carrier uh, yeah. to sort of play around in the innovation, digital, and then ultimately core venture capital space. Uh, so that was a, a, a fun opportunity because it allowed me to get more exposure to the global market. Lloyd's market, uh, Southeast Asian, uh, personal lines market, the Australian insurance market's fascinating if you want to nerd out on, on some interesting marketing dyna- or market dynamics. So had a blast running around at QBE doing a lot of different things. And, and I trying to think about all this momentum in the startup community, what it meant for a large large organization. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the investments we made while I was at, at QB, some, some, uh, some shops that are, are doing really interesting things or exited, you know, risk genius who was acquired by bold penguin, uh, Jupiter intelligence, who's doing phenomenal climate modeling, um, Cytora out of the UK. That's, uh, you know, fantastic data aggregation platform. So had a, a blast there doing some really, really interesting things. Uh, and then spent a bit of time at Brown and Brown National Program. So we talked a little bit about MGAs before. There's no better platform in the world for MGAs, and there's no bigger platform in the world for MGAs than through Brown and Brown. And and uh, I got to spend a bit of time at Brown and Brown, uh, helping them with some new programs, thinking about growth, thinking about strategy a little bit, um, but also just learning from that team. the The real purpose of an MGA is to sort of identify this niche that needs very unique underwriting uh, or very, very unique distribution applied to it. That's why MGAs work. And if you look at Brown and Brown's portfolio, that's it. Earthquake, wind. I mean, these are areas that carriers purposely don't get into because they don't have the expertise. Once you start seeing folks do MGAs on more Main Street business, that's where you question if the unit economics really play out by really, really enjoyed spending time at Brown and Brown, who, if you don't know much about Brown and Brown or their culture or their history, another world-class operation um, and and incredibly, incredibly good at what they do. And National Programs is arguably um, the finest operating unit within Brown and Brown. And so that gave me some really nice breadth around a bit on the distribution side, but more on how do you really 
grow and intentionally grow an organization. So when the opportunity came to me to move over to, to NBS and run NBS, my, my initial view was, well, here's an incredible platform that's at a world-class brand and in an operation that does everything right, but an opportunity to come in and take something from where it is today and 10, 10 exit in the next three years and 10 exit in the next five years after that, right? And really, really grow it and really, really take advantage of the legacy that it had because it, it combines all the things that I love. As an insurance nerd, you have to love the local agent. If yep. you don't, you're not a true insurance nerd. And so here's an operation that's purpose-built to serve the local agent. Here's an operation that's purpose-built to find problems or solutions for problems. We're not, a, we don't do a ton of your average run-of-the-mill stuff. We are playing on the fringes of what local agents need. That's awesome. Finding that solution is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And being yep. able to do it a, a, around a, a team of folks that many of whom have been at NBS for a long time, they know what they're doing. They've got great relationships with carriers. It was a no-brainer. So for me, an awesome step in, in my career and, and a place that I think I can spend a long time at because, as you mentioned a few times, I'm not familiar with anyone else in the market who's doing what we're doing. So that just says to me, the opportunities for us are limitless. Yeah, it- I, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of folks and what what I see in the marketplace is mostly variations on a theme. And NBS is definitely operating as a different animal. So you obviously, first off, I didn't realize that that was the entirety of, of your scope. Um, I guess I should be paying closer attention to the company and less attention to the title. For some reason, I was thinking that you were like VC and tech and then you had come, you know, into the industry from outside somewhere. I should have read your LinkedIn more closely. You you are a true blue uh, nerd who's got you know stripes to to share. How many times did you get to go to uh, that side of the world? You know, Australia, New Zealand, as a part of your work. Uh, a lot. Let's maybe four or five times a year. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I would have to think that is a big perk of working for a company who's headquartered in Australia is that, oh, shucks, I, I have to go to home office again, man. No, it, it certainly doesn't hurt, but the, the, the 18 the, hour plane the, ride hurts. I'm sure the 18 hour play around something else for, for nerds in our industry, you got to find some way to tap into what's happening in other markets around the globe, because there's some amazing thought leaders out there. There's some fascinating solutions being put together. And what I loved was seeing the promise of insurance playing out in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, I, I had you know highlighted four times over on my list of things to do in my career was you've got to do something global because without that, you think that the things that make us pound our head against the wall here every day are unique and are special. And when in reality, uh, there's a whole wide world of insurance out there. And uh, I was incredibly fortunate uh, to to be able to work with an organization like QBE, which is as global as just about any other shop out there. Um, And and that was some, some pretty awesome experiences. I am definitely sending some jealousy your way, man. That I bet you that was a lot of fun. Uh, for an insurance nerd, self-proclaimed insurance That's nerd. That's right. Um, 
you know, as, as we wrap this thing up, a- any advice, any last thoughts uh, for our listeners? Most of the people listening to this are, you know, either contemplating a move away from an exclusive company like a farmer, state farm, all state, something like that, or they're an early stage agency owner. That's really the second of the three. They're probably first five years of owning an agency. And the third bucket is people that are here just for good old fashioned entertainment value that for whatever reason, uh, they get a chuckle or some kind of enlightening moment uh, from this podcast. And there's a lot of those folks too. So uh, as you contemplate on who's listening to this, any last words, any advice, any best practices you want to share before we uh, wrap this thing up? No, for, for those agents just getting started or contemplating going the independent path, you, you just, you can't, overstate the importance of finding the right partners. And that's that's across the board. Everyone's going to be selling you technology solutions. Yep. Everyone's going to be selling you wholesale solutions. Everyone's going to be selling you sales training solutions. Find those partners that are truly going along with you on this journey. Uh, and you and I probably know uh, a lot of folks who we would bucket in that category as these are, mm-hmm. these are good people, well-intentioned people that want to yep. see you be successful. Um, don't be a hero. It's not worth it. You you find those partners, link yeah. up arm in arm and grow alongside them. And the, the best partners are the ones that will let you go once you get to a certain size and, and once you reach that potential. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think for the, the folks who just love the industry, find ways to lift your head out of, of where you're at and, and understand what's going on and appreciate what's going on because uh there are a lot of agents out there that are really struggling because of pretty crazy market dynamics right now. Yep. And there's a lot of opportunity for us as an industry to, to do better and to fulfill our promise more effectively. And, and one of the things I've loved in this role is because of the breadth of what we do, I get to see it day in and day out. And I get to knock on the doors of the carriers and be like, please, help us. Let's, let's work together. Let's find a way to solve this problem because unfortunately there are way too many people out there that just don't have access to the protection they need. Uh, and, and, and for a country like ours, that's a shame. We've got to do a better job. I I agree. You know, I, I think coming full circle to ending on, you know, finding a better way to help the good people of Florida, of Louisiana, of California, who at this point are victimized to a large extent by market dynamics. You know, we could get into more controversial conversations like in Florida, you know, tort reform and you know, the regulatory side of the roofing industry of personal injury and a lot of attorneys and contractors that are very, very egregiously taking advantage of the status quo. I'm encouraged by some things that I've seen from the, the legislature and the governor's office in Florida as far as forcing reform. And I, I know uh, Whitney Ricci and and several other people that are very active in our agency circles that are in Florida that are working really hard to help find these collaborative solutions to, as you call it, market dynamics. I think it's, you know, these kind of conversations help advance those those topics and and, you know, give people hope for a better future for if you're in one of those hard market states or someone like me that operates in a bunch of states and gets to experience the pain of some elements of those hard markets. Real quick question, Ted, how did you, uh, how did you meet Peter McDonald, CEO of Wonderite? Well, you know, there's a, 
there's a situation where you've got someone who's solving a real challenge in, in our market and, mm-hmm. and uh, something that is causing a lot of headaches for a lot of local agents. And so one of the fun things that I go to do in my role is I got to figure out what those problems all are and then figure out who's solving them. And so I was introduced to Peter as, uh, as someone that, that, that could bring some pretty unique capability to uh, the role that we play in the market. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch Wonderwrite sort of expand and evolve over time because uh, even though it's super niche, and I think a lot of VCs would probably look at it and be like, what on earth are you doing? He knows what he's feeling, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is something that he went through himself and uh, and there's no better reason to, to start a tech company than that or to launch a startup than that. So nope. I, I'm excited to see that evolve because I, I think particularly in our world where we have so many carriers and so many different forms and so many different supplementals, the, the closer we can get to not only digitizing that, but just adding some efficiency in it. I don't want a single app for, for everyone. I know that that's ridiculous to think about. I just want to make the local agent's life easier. I want them to have confidence and feel like, yes, I can take this risk on. That's where that confidence that I'm most sort of focused on is coming from. It's I'm confident enough to go prospect this risk, to go talk to this industry, this person in this industry that I've never been in before, because I know I've got a partner in my corner that's going to support me. Wonderwrite fits right in there, right? I mean, Mm. it's, it's, it's a core part of that transaction and I'm excited to see them evolve. For my small piece of the puzzle, I am a huge fan of Wonderwrite. I love what they're doing. Uh, I've been able to assist in a small way uh, with some of the the product development and you know serving as an advisor. I, I could not be a more enthusiastic evangelist for what they're up to. Uh, I think you know three years from now, five years from now, there's going to be two calibers of commercial agents. Those that are using Wonderite and those that are chasing the people that are using Wonderite, mm. uh, because it's just so much faster and easier. And th- to hear that you guys are even contemplating some sort of partnership with them is very exciting, to say the least. Uh, we we all got to do our part to move the industry forward, and the the more that we can not only meet the customer's expectation but then exceed it, um, we can we can get out of this sort of proverbial laughing stock of analog world that we yep. find ourselves in so often, uh, and we can start to fulfill our promise. And oh, by the way it's going to help folks like you write a lot, lot more business because it's going to get you out of the way of sending emails back and forth and hard signing stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a no brainer. So I I'm, I'm hopeful that that it just takes off. Man, it's, I, I have to wrap it here because of time, but I gotta say, man, this is one of the most enlightening and enjoyable conversations that I've had. Yes. I'm the host of a podcast, but I'm also the owner of a retail agency and I, I nerd out on a lot of these things that we've been talking about. I feel like you and I could just spend hours uh, with a cold drink on the table and just talk and shop. And we both would probably come away just the best of industry friends, it seems like. So thank you for spending some of your valuable time. He is Ted Stuckey, ladies and gentlemen. He is the president of Nationwide Broker Solutions. And this has been just a wonderful episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Ted, any sign off, anything you want to say, or I'm about to hang up this phone. Uh, no, I look, I look forward to that cold drink and keeping the conversation going. Awesome. Well, thanks, brother. Folks, you have a great rest of your day, and we will catch up real soon. Y'all take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.